episode number 163. This is Greg Duncan. And this is Gordon Beeman. Hey, Gordon. This is like yeah, I'm back again. two shows in a row. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's come over me. <laughs> well, because we pushed it, because I, I, I pushed it, right? Made it longer than it was supposed to be. Is, is that it? I tried to miss the first one, and then I got caught up in the second one. <laughs> Well, today's going to be today's a good show because we have a returning guest and a new guest, which is always exciting. Uh, listeners, just for your background, one thing that I did is I put out a call to all the MVPs, uh, the ALM or Development Technology MVPs, and I said, you know, who wants to be on the show? Who wants to talk about something exciting? Who wants to be a co-host or whatever? So we've got a number of people lined up and a number of cool shows scheduled and um our uh first response to that the first the people who rung the bell first is wouder de court and henry bain wouder is our returning guest and he works as a lead architect and consultant he helps organizations stay on the cutting edge of software development Wilder focuses on DevOps, Agile, and application lifecycle management. Can we even say apps, you know, application lifecycle management anymore? Isn't that like, is that old? Uh, I don't know. I mean, officially, we are still ALM MVPs. You know what? I, I don't think, but I, I don't think anyone knows what it is. <laughs> so maybe just scratch it. I mean, I, I think our audience from, from PFS radio knows what it is, and I think that's it. It, it might uh, it might come back around, so it'll be like disco. You know, it'll, it'll, ALM will come back. I'm actually seeing software lifecycle management uh, being talked about. Okay. So, uh, all right, sorry. Let's let's go get back on the rails. Now, Wilder loves solving <laughs> complex problems and helping other developers grow. Wilder authored the book DevOps on the Microsoft Stack and a couple other books too. Wilder is an MVP, Microsoft MVP in developer technologies, and an ALM Ranger. You can find him on Twitter and his blog, and we'll have the links in the show notes to all of those. He also speaks at a bunch of conferences. Henry Bain is an independent architect and developer from the Netherlands. He enjoys working with software development teams to create and deliver great software. His interests include the Azure Cloud, Agile, DevOps, software architecture, and the design and implementation of testable and maintainable software. Love that. Next to his work, he is also one of the Microsoft ALM DevOps Rangers. Henry Light tries to share what he's learned with the community at conferences and meetups or through his blog and on Twitter and LinkedIn. And again, we'll have all those links in the show notes. Wilder and Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. So let's start. First, first discussion point is one thing that I ran into this week, and I like talking about things that impact me because, you know, I, I'm me. But uh, uh, we, when we did our transition, our listeners know about my migration from TFS to VSTS. And uh, when we did our first migra our, our migration, our real migration, we set up a bunch of uh, PATs, PAT, personal access tokens, to for our build servers and our build agents and all that good kind of stuff. Well, suddenly our build agents stopped working. They started acting weird. And I, you know, I tried to add them to the queue or remove them from the uh, queue. I was getting, you know, permission denied. And I thought, oh, okay, that's weird because me, Greg Duncan, I'm a, you know, system administrator. I'm a, you know, project collection administrator. There's no way. 
Then we look at the personal access tokens and we realize they had expired and they had expired like six days ago, but they were still working. At least where they had been used previously, they were working new usages of them, like removing a machine from the queue or adding a machine to the queue was failing with an uh, access denied because it was expired. So the, the point is, is keep an eye on your PATs. All right. Look at the dates on it. And one of the cool things that we found is it is, I, I did not know this and, and I feel stupid not knowing it. It is extremely easy to renew a PAT. All right. You, you go to your profile, you click on security, you see the personal access tokens there and you can renew an expired PAT for uh, 90 days, 180 or for a year right there. Just renew it and you're good to go. Revoked ones, you obviously can't, but renewed, you can. Uh, and I would put a calendar entry somewhere, a reminder as to when that expiration date is. If you do it a year from now, put a reminder, you know, 11 months out. Hey, check the PATs, make sure that they get renewed. Have you guys run into any issues with PATs, uh, PATs expiring? It's, it's interesting you should uh, mention that. <laughs> um, probably about two weeks ago. It was probably like nine o'clock in the morning, somewhere around there. That's about the time I would roll out something new about a year ago. <laughs> and something stopped working. And then someone was like, hey, this piece of functionality is not working. And I'm like, yeah, that's weird. I run it on my machine. It's working on my machine perfectly fine. <laughs> I go run, run it on another machine. works there perfectly fine as well. And then like a little later, someone's like, hey, this other system is working it's like now half an hour later i mean about the right amount of time to move on to the second system that you are now deploying and like after like four systems fell over i realized that it's probably the pet token so like went to them like oh they expired and look when guys started complaining that's like the exact expiry time <laughs> but are you are you guys reusing your your personal access tokens because i mean and maybe i'm i'm strange but Whenever I need one, I just generate one, use it, and then revoke it. I, I mean, for, for things like build systems or whatever build agents, you just use them to uh, create the agent, and then when it's logged in with a pad, it, it establishes some other type of connection, and you don't need it anymore. So I, I don't have pads lying around for more than a year. I have in my last pass <laughs> pads very, very badly. Now, that's... Okay, yeah. That's a great point. And that's why my existing build machines did not fail, even though it had expired days ago. Yeah. But only new usages failed. Now, that's exactly good. because the, the, the path is only for the first authentication. And after that, they establish a connection which isn't based on the path anymore. Again, I feel like an idiot not knowing that. Oh, well, <laughs> we all ran into it. I mean, I think the only reason to, to reuse a path for a longer time is maybe when doing API calls or something. Okay. And you use a path for authentication, but they, they have newer ways of authenticating, which, which don't require a path. But in most cases, I mean, and yeah, I understand why Gordon stores them somewhere because I always forget them. I mean, when you refresh the screen, they're, they're gone. Mm -hmm. So I think I have pages and pages of refocused paths just because I forget to write them down somewhere. Well, I think you can uh, need them, for example, when you're uh, using them in a release, like we are doing in our uh, a number of extensions from the Rangers. Um, we are pushing extensions to the marketplace, and I think we're using a pet token there from the release. So that's one you have to keep around. Yeah, don't we use an, an, a marketplace authentication, like a, a service authentication for that? I'm not sure. Uh, 
I can look it up while we talk. <laughs> Do that. So that's it's the one scenario I can think of. So then your advice, just to summarize it, if you're doing personal assets tokens, PATs, for build machines, you do not, for build agents, and once you use it to authenticate that agent, you don't need that PAT again. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could use, a, create a 90-day one, add your agents to the queues, and then revo or, um, revoke that or expire that. And then if you need to make future changes, you can generate a new PAT to remove that agent or, or move it around or, yeah. or reconfigure it. But you don't have to keep that pat live just for the agents. No, you, you don't. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure if it's a bad, if it's a good practice to create lots and lots of uh, tokens, but that's the way it works. I mean, the, the token is, is only used for the first authentication. You don't need it to, to uh, remove an agent or whatever. You, you, you can't generate a new one every time you need it. Okay. Now, that's great. This show is paying for itself already. That is great. <laughs> but great I can also advice. see a potential extension where you get notified whenever a person access token is about to expire. I mean, if you do use them for a year, why not get an email a week in advance, log in, click on renew, and you're done? <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. The, the, yeah, no, the notification that, th that they're going to expire. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that is a missing piece that I would definitely like to be in there. And, and we're, while we're t going totally off the rails um, and while we're talking about build queues, you know, Microsoft, Microsofties, Martin, if you're listening, um, <laughs> Mickey, Paul, you know, if you guys are listening there, could you please hurry up and give us the ability to move machines in a queue? You know, uh, you move them up or down a queue. Oh my, I, we, we brought a new server online, a new build machine online. And we do all private builds because everything's happening here in our, our building and stuff. And there was four other machines in front of it that we had already added to the queue and that were already doing work. So of course, machine number five never got used. So to quote unquote, move it up in the queue, you know, the only way you could do that right now is basically move the other four. And that brings that new machine to the top of the queue, and then you can re-add the machines. Basically, the queue is based off of the time the machine has been added to the queue, not their alphabetical order or how they're listed in the queue. It's when they were added to that queue. And I really wish there was some easier way beyond remove and re-add to reorder those machines, or am I being stupid? Well, I, I understand the ask, but what's, what's the reasoning behind it? Because, I mean, you did add the fifth machine, but apparently your four machines were enough to run your build. So was the fifth machine special? Did it have new updates or something? Yeah, it was a Windows 10 machine. Our other machines were Windows 7s that were working really well, so I didn't really want to nuke them. But, you know, Windows 7's days are numbered, and the, they were all actually clones of an original machine, and we had some questions about some networking issues with those. So, you know, I wanted to temporarily bring the new machine to the top of the queue, let it run for a half a day. And if that seemed good, then leave it there. But if it didn't do good, then I wanted to move it down the queue. But um, for that, you could just, um, I think you, in the UI, you're able to basically like enable slash disable yes. an agent. Yes, yes, yes. I have definitely used that as well. And that is one way I got that machine to exercise is I just unclicked, unchecked uh, the machines in front of it. So the machines would be able to exercise. And, you know, our, my other administrators, Oscar, my uh, compatriot in crime here, could re-enable those machines. But I just, it, that seems clunky to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. And another way you could do it maybe is with the with the demands and capabilities of an agent. So you could say, hey, this build def- this build definition that's requires true. a Windows 10 yeah. machine, but that's that's also ugly. Yeah. I mean, because then you have to remove those demands after you're done and. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe they're listening and they're going to fix it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're right. There is the other workaround that we do when we're manually wanting to test that machine. We do the demand, the agent.name, and then put the agent name as a demand. And then it immediately goes to that new machine. But like you said, that, that's clunky to do. And I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I could understand it from their perspective. I mean, it's the, I think the case that we're talking about, yeah, is, is potentially quite an edge, edge case because your, your build, your build servers are generally, they all look the same. Um, like if it makes sense. Yeah, but I really wish, and I've, when I was researching this, you know, there's, there's a number of people asking for the same thing. You know, they're, they're confused about yeah. the order. They're confused that there's no round robin or no way to say round robin them. Um, yeah, that's, that's what surprises me most. I do recommend people often to go for a burstable VM to host build agents. And if you're doing that, you definitely want to utilize them all as much. As evenly as possible. So if you have uh, like four four VMs hosting build agents and they're all burstable uh, VMs in Azure, uh, you want to use them in turns so you can uh, bank uh, CPU credits and use them on every machine instead of just having them banked on two machines sitting idle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So there is value. <laughs> all right. So um, let's talk about some of the things that. Uh, Water you're working on, Gordon? Did you want to talk to about Water's projects? Um, yeah, well, I was just, actually I was just check. I've been looking at a bit of his blog in that. Um, so, is, how, do you, how do you pronounce it? Is it Voda or Vauda? <laughs> it's it's Vauda. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's hard. I said it wrong in my head. Oh, no problem. So I mean, yeah, so I mean, we're talking now about um, hosting your own like VSCS agents and stuff. And I see you've got a couple of blogs about that. Do you want to like walk us through maybe slightly what what those posts are about? Yeah, I, I mean, as, as I already mentioned, there are a lot of people who want to run their own agents on Azure or something. And I've started looking into it, um, how Microsoft does it because the hosted agents that that you have, I mean, they're, they're great. Uh, if you you got a this is two hundred forty minutes free, or you can pay a small amount and you get uh, a hosted agent. But every time you run a build, you get a new agent. So things like uh, npm install for your node modules or things like downloading Docker images, it has to happen on every build because every time you have a new clean VM. So I thought, okay, that's the case for private agents. Sometimes it's also because it's just cheaper. But Microsoft did a lot of work in creating the hosted agent. I mean, it has a lot of tooling. They test it. And maybe you've noticed that when a new f- uh, version of Visual Studio is released, it sometimes takes a couple of days or a week or whatever before the image is updated. Yeah, that's because they are testing it and making sure it works. And, well, reusing that would have value. So I started looking into how they are doing things. And, and they have open source the way they create the hosted agent. It's based on Packer, which is a tool that just, well, you, you, you script your machine. It's a little bit like um, just having a bunch of PowerShell scripts or something, but, uh, well, nicer than that. And you can compile the image and target, for example, Azure or AWS or VMware or something else on-premises. And it just creates an image which is ready to go. And what I did is then, okay, create a build definition which listens to the Microsoft repository for changes, then builds the image, puts a new image in Azure Storage, and then kicks off a release definition which takes the, the, the image and builds you a farm. And after... 
what I would still want to add is make that forum dynamic. What I now have is the ability, or you can easily queue a new release, and it asks for a parameter where you say, hey, I want an X number of build agents, and those get created, get automatically linked to VSTS, and you can use them. Oh, that's pretty cool. Right. So, so, so it's like that package is I'm potentially playing again. Um, but that packer, is that similar then to like DSC? Yeah, well, Packer is more an orchestrator where you say, hey, I've got some scripts. And when you're looking at a Windows machine, most of those scripts are PowerShell or PowerShell DSC. And it has okay. the ability to, to reboot the machine in between and keep track of which scripts are finished and which are still running and stuff like that. And in the end, it, it generates an image for you. Okay, awesome. And um, I think I think see like one of the projects you're working on the most is that uh, CI/CD pipelines for ARM templates. Is that related to these blog posts? Well, well, a, a little bit. I mean, no, the, those blog posts were mostly about creating your own build and release farm, and uh, they, they actually don't use ARM because Packer just creates an image for you, and that's it. And then I use some PowerShell in my in my release definition to say, hey, create uh, a VM scale set from this image and do me a number of VMs that, that I need at the moment. Those pipelines for ARM, I, I work with a lot of enterprise customers, and what I'm seeing is that more and more are building, yeah, you can call it whatever you want, but most, most call it a cloud foundation, where they say, hey, we have a set of ARM templates that we want to reuse within the organization. So those ARM templates are secure, and they have a backup enabled by default, and they they have, for example, a hub-and-spoke model for, for connecting on-premises to the cloud, and well, the, the yeah, the foundational stuff. But what you also see, at least with the customers I'm working with and when I look around on the Internet, is that creating ARM templates and actually testing them is still, well, a little bit a bit new and sometimes hard. I see, I see pipelines where they just say, hey, my build definition is take the ARM template and copy it to Azure Blob Storage, and the release is take the template and deploy it. But what I want is more automated testing, right? things like yeah. ma- making sure that... Um, Whatever that um, secret parameter, uh, parameters uh, come from key fault, or making sure that the templates I have follow a certain definition and a certain style guide and stuff like that. So I've been looking into things like Pester, PowerShell, Unit Test, and into custom Sonar Cube rules. And there, there is a great open source Sonar Cube uh, rule of Sonica plugin for uh, JSON, and I'm now looking into extending that to create some ARM rules that you can enable on your Sonicube server and that automatically check your ARM templates for you. Oh, awesome. Sure. So let me let me make sure that I understand this right. You're using uh, uh, the VSTS CI-CD pipeline to mm-hmm. build agents for your CI-CD pipeline. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's cool. And what, what you have to watch out for is that, um, that during your pipeline, you upload a new image and remove the old agents, and then have no agents to do the new release of your agents. <laughs> so you, you switch to hosted in between to make sure you can create a new agent based on the new template. <laughs> that's that's awesome. <laughs> we'll definitely have the links to the post uh, uh, blog post in the show notes. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah and the, the, the sample pipelines are on GitHub because they are uh, at least the, the build part is just YAML. So... Um, People can just copy the jamal into their project, and it should work. Cool. So, nice. uh, go ahead, Gordon. 
No, no, I was, I was just saying, no, it's like, it's, uh, I often find, I mean, uh, and we've said it so many times, like, the, the space is, like, around VSCS, is, there's just so much things, and then, like, you always, like, you focus in one space, you're like, hey, I'm really nailing this space, and then you listen to, like, the things that some of the other guys are doing, and you're just like, wow, that is so cool, like, <laughs> like, it, uh, we, 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 we all have imposter syndrome. <laughs> I mean, it's so huge, especially when you link it to Azure. There is so much going on. It's, it's yeah, it's terrible and nice at the same time. <laughs> so, can you send me that link to that uh, Sonar Cube JSON yeah. rules? Yeah. yeah, I'll do. I'll do. Good. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah. What, what's a little well. I would almost, uh, how do I put it? Strange about the Sonic abuse, at least for me, is um, it's Java. <laughs> Apparently, writing C-sharp rules for Sonic Cube, they, they did some magic with the Roslyn SDK, but I've, I, I've contacted the guy at Sonic Cube who, who knows about that, and, well, he was he says it's, it's hard to do, so please, please write them just in Java. <laughs> so the last couple of days I've, I've been, well, diving into things like Maven and Eclipse and VS Code for Java and whatever, just to create those Sonic abuse, but it's it's coming along, and, and when I finish them, I'm, I'm planning on open sourcing them, and I hope, well, that they, they can benefit others. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, talk to us about inspirational sessions. Yeah, that's something which um, I, I try to speak a lot at meetups and conferences and stuff like that, but also uh, I do a lot of presentations just for, for Sagetti, for, for my employer, and we have a lot of customers, of course, who are thinking about DevOps and and well, that they heard something about it, and, well, some of them are, are still starting with it. And the inspirational sessions are mostly, hey, um, if you do DevOps and you do it like it's supposed to do, um, then what are the benefits? So it's a session where I show, like, the current problems we have with software development and, and organizations and teams, and then I move into what is DevOps, the theory, and then I've got a slide that I, I think I took it from from well, from Microsoft, from, from Donovan, that shows a sample pipeline like it's supposed to be. So you have your, your lean agile Kanban, you have your source control with Git, you have your automated CI, CD, automated testing, exploratory testing has its place, you have feature flags and a monitoring with AAB testing, canary testing, and stuff like that. And then I, I take them through the pipeline and show them what each step means and what the capabilities are that they can implement. And then... I demo most of them with VSDS and Azure, so they, they get a real sense of what the world could be if they move in that direction. Awesome. And what kind of feedback do you get? <laughs> I'm sure they don't say, oh, you suck, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, pr pretty positive. I mean, what I see is that most customers, when, when they see, yeah, I like to call it utopia, they get really, really enthusiastic. I mean, doing it is it's phase two. But showing them what's possible, it always helps. For example, I, I, I did it last week at a meetup for front-end developers. And there were some front-enders, some Microsoft, some Java developers. And especially the Java developers triggered me. They said at the end, it was also a, a hands-on part where they uh, used the Azure DevOps projects to get started. And they said about VSTS, well, um, it's so nice that it just works and everything is connected and it takes almost no time to set up. Well, I thought that was pretty 
positive coming from someone who is not a Microsoft developer. <laughs> And I have to ask, we've, all four of us, I'm sure, have seen the demos, like the Microsoft demos, the, you know, the, the clicky demos, the easy to do, the simple stuff. But when it comes hard, you know, it's hard. What are, what are your demos? Are, are your, your Utopia sessions? Are they, are they? <laughs> my, uh, oh, I'll, I'll admit my Utopia sessions are the easy demos. <laughs> It's, it's a demo. What I mostly demo is, um, okay, you've got a Kanban board, you've got a work item, you move it, you create a new branch, you go to Visual Studio, VS Code, whatever, depending on the audience, you make your change, you do a pull request, oh, look, the pull request runs SonarCube, runs wide source, runs <laughs> unit tests and whatever, I merge it, it goes to a release definition, it gets deployed, and hey, here you can see that I... Um, I try to use um, uh, launch darkly in my uh, sessions for feature flagging. Mm -hmm. But here you can see the feature is off. Then I enable it for 50% of the audience. Now go grab your phone and see, and go to this URL on Azure. Oh, you don't see the change. Oh, you do see it. Well, now I enable it for everyone, and everyone sees it, and, and we're all happy. And then you can see the application insights monitoring where um, you can see things like performance or exceptions or, or stuff like that, and you see that everyone is starting to use the new feature. That's that, the demo I do. That is awesome. All right, that is not a Microsofty clicky click demo. Yes, it's a it's it's not even not even I wouldn't even call it a simple scenario. Bringing all those pieces, you know, yeah, the white source application insights, the launch darkly, uh, using the work item branching and then merging. Uh, that's great. Yeah, but it. Um, where it gets easy is um, it's a to-do application <laughs> okay. with a SQL Server database with Entity Framework. I mean, deployments get hard when you have integration with third-party stuff, on-premises stuff, and when, you and when you have difficult database stuff. Mm -hmm. As long as you avoid that, <laughs> it's easy. But, but even beyond demos, because I've done a number of one-on-one -on -one coaching um GoPro sessions for one or two days with a number of customers, and you can get someone from really zero to doing that in one or two days uh, who hasn't opened up VSTS ever before. And I think that's a big difference with other products. Yeah. So hey, hey, we've talked to Walter. 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 God. Uh, we can have no Henry problem. on again because I can pronounce his name. Uh, <laughs> One thing I wanted to make sure I, f I forgot this last show, and, and I wanted to hit congratulate Josh, even though you couldn't make it today, Gordon, without her. Uh, congratulations on re-earning uh, your MVP status. Thank you. Yeah. Woo. Uh, and now, Henry, you are not an MVP, right? No. Thanks for mentioning that. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk to you a whole bunch then. Forget everybody else. Screw them. Um, let's, let's get our listeners interested in you and let, let's get those people, let's make this MVP thing happen. I'm just saying, like, it was like probably what, a couple of months, uh, Greg, when we were, we were talking on the show and we we're like, what? Oh, yeah, you're not an MVP yet, Greg. And then what happened the next renewal cycle? Greg became an MVP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the last time I was on the show was, I think, three months before I became an MVP. So somehow, Greg, you, you have a huge influence. <laughs> <laughs> or so well, fingers like crossed, guys. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, so I like to pretend <laughs> anyway. All right, Henry. So um, tell us about the what kind of stuff are you working on, like day to day? 
day to day. Um, I'm, I'm currently running through pro- two projects. Um, one just finished last Monday, which was one day a week coaching two development teams who are doing PHP. So from C Sharp to Java, we're now at PHP. Um, and I, I did everything uh, with them from uh, writing solid code, uh, uh, talking uh, unit tests, what's a unit, what's not a unit, what's much larger, um, how do we do pipelines, all that kind of stuff. So everything uh, I like in software development. And I'm working four days a week at a customer in the center of the Netherlands, far, far from where I live. And they are doing some kind of, we want to go more digital project, do something with data and maybe some AI. And we're investigating um, if there is money to be made, except uh, getting that into the company. That's what I'm working on. Why Why are you interested in, in doing VSTS? And why is VSTS cool to you and your clients and customers? Uh, my main motivator is um, uh, a happy customer at the end. So a lot of the things I draw on a whiteboard have a user at the lower right that is supposed to be happy in the end. <laughs> and I want to get him happy at the end of the day, not at the end of the month. And I think VSTS is a great enabler to achieve that. So delivering value to customers. How, how long have you been working with like TFS and VSTS? Um, I think five years up to the month. Uh, Right now, so I started with 2012, and seen 2013, and since I think a year and a half, uh, a lot of VSTS on the side as well. Mm-hmm. What is it like working with VSTS from the Netherlands? Uh, is uh, is there any? Are there any barriers? Any you know? Being you know, I'm so Anglo-centric. I I, I, I have. You know, I, I want to try to share with our listeners what it's like for uh, people like yourself and areas like yourself where you live. Um, honestly, I've never even had any reason to not use VSTS from, from, from Europe. I do know there is a, a, a VSTS installation in Europe, so it's not like it's, it's slower over here, for example. Um, when it comes to, for example, compliance or security, we all know that Microsoft tries to live up uh, to the highest of standards. Um, every now and then customers are concerned with going to the cloud with their intellectual property instead of having it in the basement. That's, I think, the biggest concern people have, at least people that I've talked to. Um, but nothing else really. Is that sentiment changing? Um, whew. That, that, that's a good question. Um, I think the sentiment isn't really changing yet, but I think the ratio is slowly taking over the sentiment. Um, for some reason, people still feel that it's better when it's in their basement, but they're starting to know that it's not, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. And, and who who's the, like the major blocker? Is it the actual developers or is it management or management's management or... or? And, well, not management, 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 because I, I do work <laughs> in smaller companies than, for example, uh, Wouter does. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's uh, more like the um, guy who has gotten quite senior and grown into a enterprise architect kind of uh-huh. role and has slowly shifted from trying to achieve things to mitigating risks and preventing errors. That, that that the role where people get more serious, uh, senior and start to think about what what could can go wrong instead of what can go better. Hmm. <clears throat> That's anyway. I don't know if they're saying that 
that you guys have seen. Um, I've picked up a couple of times. Um, so I don't mean I don't do consultancy, but I always talk a lot to people about VSCS. And often, like with the guys, like, no, it's cheaper to run CFS on-prem. And then you're like, okay, well, you, you look at what they're running. And they, they because obviously, I mean, on-prem licensing largely works to a, like an honesty system, if you want to call it that. And, and, and then you, you look at what they're running on-prem and you're like, well, if you guys were running this like, properly on-prem, running this in VSCS would be cheaper. Like, is that a scenario you often come across? Um, not really. Actually, a customer I'm currently uh, helping uh, wants to move to VSCS uh, from a cost perspective because they are getting the bill of their um, uh, f- uh, VPSs um, every month. And they are seeing that uh, VSCS is free for teams up to five, and they have eight developers. <laughs> yeah. um, so they are actually wanting to move over for um, saving money. Okay. Yeah, what, what I don't understand but with some companies is, I mean, we, we're hopefully we're starting to learn that software can be software development can be a key innovator for for every company. I mean, if you look at the Phoenix Project and Accelerate and books like that, and then suddenly they start investing time in in keeping TFS running. I mean, it yeah. shouldn't be their core business to keep TFS running. It's just a product. Just move to the cloud and forget about it and start building software instead of well. Yeah, creating build services and updating TFS and things like that. And of course, security is sometimes still an issue, but I, well, because at least with the customers I'm working with, it's shifting. They are getting way more positive about cloud and they're starting to see that cloud is more than just a replacement of their virtual machines. And that's helping a lot. Yeah, I mean, to that extent as well, when they build software, you often hear them say like, um, we focus on like what we do. So, for example, we're not going to write our own security uh, libraries. We're going to use like stuff that's really off the shelf, like Auth0 um, or like Identity Server or something. And then they say, but we run our own TFS. I'm like, is is TFS what you do? No, but we need it on prem. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, go to VSCS. Like, if that's not what you do, you're saying you don't want to write software that's not your soft, like that's not your core business. So why? Post your own stuff when that's not your core business, and like I think the, the mindsets around that they battle to to grasp. Yeah, and the best companies are those who don't only run PFS themselves, but who also think that they should write their own release management or something because they can do it better. Yeah, because that's yeah. that's that's the place where they're going to make money or something. Yeah, I'd, well, okay, please don't do it. <laughs> don't. <laughs> And I think everybody can see that it's cheaper to do it in the cloud nowadays. Uh, if you yeah. just look at the cost of uh, error fill, uh, safe uh, safes and hardware and people looking at it, it's it's way more expensive. Well, the same argument with yeah. email. Do you guys actually have hosted email servers anymore? Your on-prem email servers? Nope. Nope. Uh, that was long ago when we last had that. <laughs> exactly. Like, even, even my private email is in Office 365. Like, I have my own subscription that's got two licenses, one for me, one for my wife. And, like, my private me- email sits in Exchange. Like, I only trust Exchange, and that's where my email sits. And that's the same argument, Henry, you were making, is that it just, you know, running an email server is not – unless you're, like, a company that does maybe mass mailings or something. I mean, it's not germane to the business. Hosting TFS on-prem um, – is it truly germane to the business value that you are trying to give to your customers and your investors? No, it's just a really critical component. So you want to have the feeling of control and people want to hold on to their intellectual property. I think that are the two main motivators. I think they're both false. 
I, I, I mean, I if think- their email's probably in the cloud. You know, so yeah. all of that communication and IP and, you know, scary stuff that happens in email. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think the best thing I've, I've seen is a company who had a test instance of TFS and a production instance of TFS with different SLAs. And the developers needed to develop against the test instance. And then they had to copy their code and build definitions what? and stuff to the production <laughs> instance to actually access production to do a deployment. What? Because that you're, makes sense. You're making that up. No, I'm not making that up. No, no. It, it was a, a customer of mine in the Netherlands. No, I'm not making that up. Because as, as, as Henry said, it's, it's a critical thing at TFS. So you need to have a test instance and a production instance and SLAs on TFS. And yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just wondering, how did that work out with, with, with change history? Not because it was, it was pre-Git. So they were doing TFEC, so it was really hard to get your code from the test to the production instance. And so they pretty much like uh, squashing the code in TFEC into the new instance. Mm-hmm. Now that gives me a, gives me an ID. Listeners, send us your worst horror story, your best horror story about on-prem. TFS. Don't share anything proprietary or anything because I'd like to talk about it in, in future shows. But send us an email, radiotfs at outlook.com and, and send us your, 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 your horror stories. Now, Rod, um, we're going to talk about you in a little bit. Uh, we kind of already know your story. So, <laughs> uh, Rod's a, a U.S. government employee and he has, um, dealing with, with upgrade issues and everything else. But okay, Rod, you can send us an email too because we love your emails. But everybody else, send us your, you know, your, your, your not worst experience with TFS, but implementation usage of it. Like what Vouter just said about having, you know, two instances, one for test and, and a total separate instance for production or, you know, your, your weird, I, you know, we store everything in TFS, but then we have a batch file to deploy it. Uh, send us your stories. I'd be interested to hear it. And I'm sure our listeners would be interested to hear it to realize that maybe their lives aren't as bad as they feel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so something while we are doing the worst things in the world i made something like <laughs> about six years ago um and I, and I can't for the life of me think of the the reason why i did it and like there's nothing in my mind that feels like this ever needed to make sense but i made it and we we used it for like a month and then i realized that it was the wrong thing but basically what this was is there was probably like six teams or seven teams and for some reason, we're convinced they each needed their own, their own. Oh yes, I remember now what it was. Sorry. So we had we had six teams. They each had their own team project, and but they all needed to work on the same code. So this was before I think I think it was before I read about the whole one team project to rule them all and like you know doing things slightly better. But anyway, six teams because they all their teams, so it makes sense they each get their own team project. That's the name, right? And they all needed to work on the exact same code base. So what I made is this thing where you, you check code into TFEC. Um, it then hits a central uh, like um, service with that commit, with all the information that's in that commit. That service then locks all those files on a, a sort of master repo, as well as every other team's exact repo files so that no one else could check in on there. So there was obviously the, um, the check-in uh, hooks um, 
like when you check in code, so like there's a oh wait, someone wants to change this code and basically like decline your your check in at that point. Then the master service says, okay, I've got your code. It distributes that to everyone else's team, like uh, TFVC repo, and then issues the command to say, cool, I've unlocked this code now. So, that, so we could basically have a centralized repo across multiple team projects. This is like the worst thing ever. Like it works, but it, like it's so terrible. <laughs> Sounds like you've written a database engine. Oh, it, it was bad. <laughs> I, I, I think you can sell it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are some companies who are thinking, "Ooh, that's what we need." <laughs> so that's distributed source control. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, making me, I'm making me cry. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get back to Henry. Um, so you're an ALM ranger. What kind of what projects have you worked on? Um, I've done some work uh, on the countdown widget, which is a widget Wouter started, I think, three years ago, four maybe even. It's a it's a small widget that you can uh, drop onto your VSTS or TFS dashboard, and that counts down to either the end of the sprint or a specific date and time. And as every developer knows, uh, and even we experienced just before the show, there's a thing called time zones. <laughs> uh, and there were still a number of, uh, of bugs surrounding time zones in uh, in the widgets. Uh, that's where I started working on last year, and we're now uh, preparing a new third widget, which has a really shiny uh, countdown to the date uh, and time specified. Currently, it's just a uh, text, and we wanted uh, some circles, you know, that are slowly uh, drawing back, getting smaller until um, moment T. Um, so that's what I've been working on as a ranger. What's it like being a ranger? Oh, it sucks. I hate it. Hope they're not listening. No. Um. <laughs> um, oh, that's that's a good question. I think I've been a ranger for almost a year now, nine months or something, eight maybe. Um, it's um, different than I imagined, um, and it's really uh, what you make of it yourselves. I think that's really important to know. So you can pour your time and energy into it. Um, when you want and create a cool stuff, for example, that extension, which has a couple thousand users. Um, and you can oh, learn. 7,000. 7,000. Look at that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not bad for, for a simple countdown with you. I think it's it's in the top five or top eight or something of most installed uh, in VSTS uh, accounts or top 10, yeah, something like that. That's, uh, yeah. So go Wouter. Yeah. I mean, Folder management is still in is still in the top five, although it's it's deprecated. So we're we're doing good stuff as rangers. Yeah, but I think that's uh, no, it's not counting TFS, just VSS. Yes, yes, I think there are uh, great extensions. Um, so what was I saying? What it's like being a uh, ALM ranger? Oh, even once, yeah. That I think it's it's cool to learn as well. Uh, every now and then there go questions uh, over the mailing list that I even didn't know were possible asking. So you can learn a lot from uh, from people who are uh, far further with the product uh, than you are. So that's cool. And every now and then uh, we have a meetup with all the ranges and we just discuss uh, stuff um, that comes up or projects we want to run, um, guidance we want to write. So that's really um, a learning experience for me as well. So these are published to the Microsoft uh, Visual Studio Marketplace under the Microsoft Dev Labs publisher, right? Yes. Okay. Then... But other people publish with that same publisher? Because I want to meet who did the Galactic Dodge 
uh, plug in. Yeah, Microsoft DevLabs is a shared publisher which is used for, um, well, let's say experimental uh, extensions, which are sometimes, when they get really popular, are integrated into the product. So we, we started using it as ranges because um, when, before the marketplace was released at Connect a couple of years back, we got access a few months earlier to build extensions and fill the marketplace, and then we started using that publisher. So some, some guys from the, uh, yeah, from the marketplace team are also using that extension, and they are the ones who, who build the games and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And for our listeners, um, literally, it is a uh, retro arcade game extension that you play, and you dodge the dodge the asteroids. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, a, a couple. I think I showed like two summits ago. I wanted to build a snake game. So while you're waiting for your build, um, you can play Snake. But then the only, way you could, the only way you could play Snake is when a build's running. So like you'd have to be chewing up build minutes as a way to buy credits to play Snake kind of thing. And then I was, I was chatting to one of the guys in the product team. He's like, oh, you mean like this Snake game? And I was like, damn it. <laughs> like he's, he's already built it. He just didn't hook it up to the, you have to be building something to play. And I was like, oh, well, there goes that idea. I'll just play a Snake game. <laughs> Well, this one, play Snake on the Arcade Hub. Well, then there you go. We'll have to put that in the show notes, too. <laughs> so pe- people have to slow down their builds to get a high score. Yeah. I just stick on that's, the house that's, of that's agents. That's dangerous stuff. Yeah, you, you use private agents for, for, for to save money, but okay. <laughs> no, just hosted agents. They're even slower. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. And and then do a huge NPM install. <laughs> yes. And at, at the NuGet... Uh, I don't know. What happens when your 240 minutes are up? Is your build cancelled or is it just um, paused? Because that's going to be a great trick. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think by default, the hosted agent, if you don't pay for anything, you, you have a 240 minutes, but you also have a 30-minute timeout in each individual build. Yeah, you're right. All right. So we're getting actually towards the end of the show, and I want to make sure that we talk about um, the presentations you've both done. Vader, what what kind of presentations have you done recently? Um, well, as, as I mentioned, the, the DevOps Utopia, but... Uh, some I'm also doing is um, continuous delivery for your database. I, I see a lot of people are, are still struggling with that. And I mean, CI/CD for a web app or something is easy. And we've all done it. And well, if you don't, you can find it online. But the database, and especially when it's starting to get more difficult, so not not just purely entity framework migrations or something, but when you have uh, larger databases, stored procedures, indexes, views, and other stuff. I mean, I, I'm not a DBA, but well, I know a little bit about it. Then it gets harder. And one of the presentations I've been doing is how to use uh, stuff like uh, SQL Server Data Tools and the tooling from Redgate to automate database deployment. And, well, that's that's pretty popular and, and people are interested in it. But what I'm also trying to do is then at the end, I discuss some stuff. We've had uh, the VSTS team. They gave, um, well, a, a training conference for uh, Microsoft partners last year which they called, I think it was called the DevOps Fast Track. And it's now also, it's online, so people can, can view the sessions where they discussed how they are doing um, continuous upgrades for VSTS on the database. And that's really interesting. That's that's the always up while changing your database stuff. So I discuss SSDT, I discuss Redgate, and then I say, okay, but what if you want 24-7 uptime? Then look at how the VSTS team does it and learn from it. And do you have anything coming up in the future? Uh, yeah, a, a couple of meetups. Um, like at the end of this month, I'm or next month, <laughs> I'm going to uh, a, a test meetup 
So, well, the theme of the evening is going to be something like that the traditional tester is dead. So let's let's hope it goes okay. Well, I'm I'm going. Of course, I'm going to show them VSCS and then discuss with them. Hey, you have to test pyramid yeah, where previously we had a lot of manual testing and a little bit of unit testing. Well, if you turn it around, you add some exploratory testing and how do you put that in a pipeline and then what's the the modern role of a tester? And in September, I've got um, DevOps on the Microsoft stack, which is like well DevOps utopia for <laughs> meetups. And Henry and I are going to Poland. There is a, a huge developer conference for uh, Europe in Poland, and we're both doing uh, some sessions there. Great. Awesome. So, Gordon, I, I took, like, your last two points that were all you. So, uh... No, I, I'm fine with that. I, I, don't need, I don't need points Points <laughs> for talking stuff. I, t- I talk enough off, off the side. Um, I was just say something, like, because you're talking about, like, the database uh, continuous delivery and whatnot. Um, I love those kind of talks. Like I mean, recently did one at a user group where I basically so so soon we're going to get uh, data centers in Africa. Uh, well, in our country they'll be, they'll be hosting two data centers, which is pretty cool. Um, but I mean, lots of the guys still like they build their software the same way as they used to. Um, they generally lots of guys are releasing straight to production, so you you do that like, sort of that like that. The kind of presentation that we, I was just like open wide and like everyone's amazed. And all you're basically doing is you run some unit tests at a build. At build time, we also, um, I mean, using the SSDTs, we, we stand up like a little database on local DB, um, deploy our SSDT on there, deploy our unit tests onto it. We run our unit tests at build time. And then like during release, stand up a whole test environment, run stuff. And everyone's just like, that's so amazing. And it's like, yeah, you, you could have done this like even on-prem and they're like, really? I thought you needed the cloud to do all this amazing stuff. And it's like, <laughs> it, 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 like, you get such a different reaction out of the audience when it's not just like, hey, here's my little app that doesn't have a database or that has an in-memory database. Because um, then like once you have a database, they're like, well, okay, this is actually something real now. So, Henry, let's talk about uh, what your presentations. What have you done and beyond the .NET developer days in Poland, do you have anything else coming in the future? Henry's muted. Henry is muted. Don't, don't, don't. There you go. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was on mute. It has to happen every call at least once. Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing two more presentations in October about database per tenant architectures. A uh, thing I have done at Snellstart, my former employer, and I'm also uh, talking to a number of customers uh, about c- currently. And it's basically an architecture where every uh, tenant has his own database. At Snellstart, we had 60,000 databases uh, supporting such an architecture. And, and I uh, introduced the architecture, discussed the pros and the cons, and when you can use it, when you definitely shouldn't use it, etc. So that's an, uh, not really a VSCS thing. That's the thing I have coming up. And I do a number of uh, incarnations of a session about uh, deploying secrets, uh, passwords, keys, and certificates and stuff to your uh, application at the runtime for uh, your production environment and how to do that securely in a number of different ways depending on, well, how far you are doing DevOps and infrastructure as code and that kind of thing. So that's uh, the couple of months uh, uh, led the rest of this year for me. Cool. All right, we're, we're running, we're coming down to time, but I've got, uh, yeah, we've got three minutes left. But let's talk about, uh, again, I mentioned Rod. He, he's one of our uh, longtime listeners and emailer and comments. And he had a question that I've, you know, TLDR'd as one project rules them all. You know, Rod is looking at, he's used uh, VSTS. 
uh, and TFVC world. Now he's looking at uh, Git and <laughs> yeah, in three minutes or less. Uh, first of all, describe for our listeners. Um, I'll give this to you, Henry. Describe to our listeners what is quote unquote one project rules them all. Um, the, the thing is um, you just have one project collection or one VSTS account within just one team project. And that's basically where all your uh, development teams do their work. And you, um, uh, the main motivation for this is that you have increased visibility uh, over all the work being done cross-team and uh, especially, for example, from a portfolio management point of view. Am I in time? Yes. <laughs> I think, uh, that's, the, that's the main point, uh, trying uh, to avoid barriers between teams. Okay, but does Git help or hurt that? Um, I don't know. I think the Git isn't an objection because, for example, you can create multiple Git repositories in one team project. So you can still have multiple repositories, uh, one per uh, solution space, for example. Um, so I see no objections there. I think it's even better with Git than with TFVC. That's the answer I was looking for. That's where we're going. Yeah, it actually <laughs> is because, yeah, that one project rules them all works great until you have and you're using TFVC and you have like 5,000 folders and you're coming up with naming conventions for folders and you know yeah then Start it starts to nest them yeah, exactly and then nested nested and they have the different you know folders for you know you try to do weird branching for dev and QA and uh, yeah uh, where git makes that so much easier and the thing that git does rod why that's important is that it helps you keep your separation of concerns. With TFVC, and one project rules them all, and you have these thousands of folders, it is entirely too easy to start up a Visual Studio solution and reference other projects within that TFVC tree. So you have a shared library. I'll just add an existing project and put that in there. And that's, in most cases, bad. That's that's kind of a stinky thing and it's going to break. Do you guys agree or disagree with that? I definitely agree. I've seen I've seen it happen. Um I think it's it's a basic scenario where one person from one solution changes a file, compiles on my machine, checks it in <laughs> and 55 different solutions are broken. So use NuGet packages. Yeah. I think that's the basic uh, basic solution there. Yeah, it's, especially when you get some guys that don't understand the build system. I, I don't know how people still don't understand the build system these days. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird, but like, they'll, like you say, they'll go and add a reference to another project. They'll change the code there. They'll check in stuff and then they'll be like, it's not working on, uh, on the build. The build's saying it can't find the project, but like the project's right here and it's checked in. And it's like, yes, it's checked in, but like, look at the path and only this path checks out on the build server. They're like, well, then let's change that. It's like, well, to get to the path where you are, we're going to like check out 40 gigs of code right now just because you're being a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, Rod, to answer your question on that one, um, the, the, the guidance that I am seeing is that, yeah, one, one team project, and don't get confused that everybody does this. We've all done it. Every single one of us listening are, I'm sure, uh, Gordon Henry and Vowder have done it as well. When you first start in TFS or you first start VSTS and you see team project, you think, oh, well, that's a Visual Studio solution. So, you know, I fire up a new team project, put my one solution in there. Oh, I've got another project, quote unquote project. So I'll fire up another VSTS team project. It, have you guys, you guys have done that, right? Absolutely. 
Have you seen I, those? I, I was just gonna say, have you seen those um those collections that have uh, like over two hundred team projects in them, and each one has probably less than ten megs of code, and that's all they have. <laughs> so don't fall into that trap, team project even the, the word project is like the wrong term for that maybe team repository team workspace workspace yes exactly that's a much better term um and can have multiple solutions it can have multiple let's say uh now honestly if you're not looking at git in vsts start looking at git professionally it's something that you really just need to do um a vsts team project slash workspace uh, can host multiple Git repositories. That repository should be highly focused. Now that repository can be one solution. And probably, probably should be. Should be, exactly. One solution. So what happens if you have other shared libraries? Well, they get their own Git repos and then their binaries are published to package management, i.e. NuGet within TFS or VSTS. Then your project references those binaries. Um, and I also love, like, I mean, like at the moment, we're talking about sort of moving from uh, TFET to Git. Like when the guy said, you know, our, our code base is too big and we don't want to split it up and stuff. I'm like, you don't have to. They're like, no, but you can't put big stuff into Git. I'm like, here's a link to the Windows team. <laughs> like, Microsoft have solved this problem for you. Like, no one on earth can say we have a, a code repo that's too big to put in Git anymore because, like, Microsoft have done such a great job with, like, Windows. One objection I hear often for um, um, using packages between solutions is that um, it's hard to keep updates rolling to every end solution, and there is now an, a new option in VSTS to uh, have one build start another, so you can do automated uh, upgrades, and maybe not check them in, but you can do automated upgrades of your NuGet packages, then run all your tests, and get a report on what would happen if you upgraded that specific end solution. Um, so like canary builds. That's a great way to keep all solutions uh, using the latest and greatest of your internal packages. Now that's, that's good for source. Now what about work items? You know, um, user stories, uh, you know, bugs, those kind of things. Uh, how do you manage, and this is a leading question obviously, but how do you manage those when you have 12 teams working in one team workspace. Area paths is a, is a great way to organize work. Um, uh, and of course, a portfolio management. So epics, features, uh, work items. So you can do take, for example, the top-down approach, uh, digging into work. That's what I've done in the past. And even the builds and releases now can be segmented and even secure based off of the folder. So you can assign a folder to a team and they so you don't have to worry about team you know zebra going into your team alpha builds and doing the builds and doing the releases you can actually lock those down as well because that was one of the other things i used to hear and used to think in my head about that why to do a new team project well it was a security boundary and i yeah i, I understand why people are saying that but i mean okay there are there are special cases. I've been at a customer of finance where they had some code that checked credit card stuff and that had to be secure and nobody was allowed to read the code. But, I mean, internal open source and just trusting each other. Learning bad, from each other. It isn't a bad thing. I mean, why do you, why do you have to lock your build definitions from a guy who is sitting three offices down the hall? 
Don't you trust each other? Don't you know each other? I mean, it's possible. You can do it if you want to. But I would definitely question why you want to do it and why you just don't work together and allow pull requests through all applications and all code from your whole organization. It gets worse. Like, like obviously, when you go back to the guys that do that with their work items as well. It's like, no, our work items are secret. Only these people must be able to see this area parts their work items. It's like, really? Do you really want the overhead of managing, like, security access to work items? It's like, come on. Yeah, but even more, if you, if, if you as an organization want to achieve uh, something in particular or have four, like, important goals, um, don't you want everybody to know those goals and to try and achieve them? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I see that, unfortunately, in my position here as well occasionally where somebody has access to one project, but, oh, you have to lock them out of another one. And it's like, guys, really, why are you doing this? And it's political. Every time. It's not a real business reason. It's uh, it's humans. Damn humans. we got to get rid of the humans. Oh, I, well, I, I, I mean, once, one example I like is that uh, parts of package management in VSTS were created by, I think it was the Skype team, just because they needed something. And Microsoft has, has a huge internal open source culture where everyone can see everything and you can do forks and pull requests for something that is not your project. But if you need... If you need it to change, you can talk to the team or you can just do, do a pull request. Hmm. I, and I think that culture is, well, it's, it's way more DevOps and way better than locking everything down. All right, guys. Uh, I think we have to start wrapping this. Hopefully, Rod, we answered your question on that one. Um, uh, Henry and Valder, we'll start with Valder first. What, what should I have asked you, but I didn't? <laughs> um, I have no idea. That's not going to help. <laughs> Maybe you can cut this from the recording. <laughs> no, it's going to be there. Sorry. I did that purposely to give Henry some time to think about his answer to that because, you know. God. He's going to be much better at this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. That's, that's why they're going to make you an MVP. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But let me put it differently. Is there anything that uh, anything else you'd like to, to give to our listeners or say to our listeners? Um, yeah. Well, something um, – I mean, I, I like it that people are sending questions to um, to Radio TFS. I mean, I've, you, you shared some some questions with us. We answered one. And um, well, Microsoft MVPs, we're not evil people. We like helping others. You can find us on Twitter, on our blogs, on email, on whatever. Just reach out if you have questions like this. Just find us online and just ask them. We we like helping people. And, yeah, to back that up, actually go to mvp.microsoft.com, and you can search all of the MVPs. You know, there's 3,092 or so listed. Uh, you can find an MVP there as well in the, the area that you're interested in. And to reemphasize that, you know, the MVPs, we are not Microsoft cheerleaders. You know, we are some of some of Microsoft's um, strongest pushers, influencers, uh, um Critic. Yeah, critics in some cases. Yeah, uh, you know, when we talk to the product team, the ALM group has a very, very tight relationship with the product team. And yeah, we are not afraid of telling them, you know, you're being stupid. Yeah, don't do this. And they will share with us and get ideas and have changed their plans based off of our feedback. So again, hunt us down. Look at your local MVPs when you go to a user session. Um, 
You know, and you see an MVP up there, talk to them. Don't be afraid, man. You go to Ignite, you go to Build, you see somebody talking up there, or even a Microsofty, talk to them. Don't be afraid. Don't be a, don't be a, don't be a Greg and not say, oh, I'm not social. I hate humans. Uh, <laughs> sorry. All right. Henry. Yes. What should I have asked, or what should we have asked you, but we didn't? I have honestly no idea. Uh, <laughs> you had so long to think about it. Yes, yes, but I was just you had listening to, you, to all you MVPs <laughs> and thinking of what I was uh, wanting to ask you guys. Uh, but even there, I had no idea. Um, it's my it's my first podcast, so please forgive me. Really, this is the first podcast you've ever done? Yes, dude, you did awesome. Oh well, thank you. I tried. Valor, <laughs> oh, no, we're saying sorry, Greg. We're saying. Um, I mean, at the beginning, where it's like, yo, we take it easy. English is not their, their native language. And like, when you talk to them, you would never, you would never guess that. And it's also one of the things I love about this community. When you chat to the guys at, at MVP summits, and like most of them, they'll speak English for like one week a year, and that's when they go to summits. And like, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. <laughs> you guys did better than I did. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well. I think that's a show. Gordon, is there anything you want? Gordon, what should I have asked you, but I didn't? When am I going to be on the next show? I mean, <laughs> that's the question. And then I'll be like, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, we've got a couple shows. We've got more guests lined up. We've got a guest for next week. I'm, uh, and we'll have a show next week. We're recording this uh, April 1st, uh, April 1st, August 1st. It'll hopefully, be out tomorrow. Um, we got a show set up for next week. And, um, who do we have again? Oh, Dave Harris is going to be on next week. I'm looking for a guest for the 22nd. And September 5th, I plan on having a host-only show. And that will be an interesting day, maybe. We'll, we'll see. I can't say anything about that date, I don't think. I uh, definitely can't say anything that may or may not be happening on that date. Um, but September... But there will be something. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, unless their plans change. You know, but um, hopefully we'll have, have some... I'm sorry, go ahead. I have some squirreling to do. I'll be closing up because I, I just think it's amazing. Have you guys used Cloudflare at all? Not I. No. So, so I mean, I follow lots of the stuff that Troy Hunt does. And, like, he mentioned Cloudflare. And I was like, hey, that's quite interesting. And I looked at, like, his Have I Been Porn stuff where he's used Cloudflare. And with my old blog, I've moved stuff over to Cloudflare. So, basically, Cloudflare hosts your DNS and they do a whole bunch of caching for you and everything's magical, right? Um, I recently now rewrote my blog in .NET 2.1 or uh, .NET Core 2.1. And I put, like, caching on to the max. And... As an example here, in the last little while, um, gosh, if I go back to this page, out of 100,000 requests, only 2,800 requests have actually hit my web server. So they've, they've cached, like, what's that, 97,000 uh, requests for me? Like, so so my, my Azure VM is, like, a very minimal VM. And, like, if you look at the bandwidth there, like, it's I think it's 700 megs of bandwidth for all those requests. And only 36 megs of that actually went through, like actually went to my server. And they do threat detection and blocking and stuff. It was actually quite annoying because I tried to do a, a load test on my server and they basically picked it up as a DDoS and they just started batting off my load test. <laughs> and like most of those requests still didn't get through to me. So I had to like add a second host and then like do the load test of the other host. But like, yeah, it's, it's completely different. And again, to the whole, we don't always do just the Microsoft things. 
Like Cloudflare is amazing. I mean, all this stuff is off this free offering. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. So what was that I heard from the listeners? Don't ask Gordon what we forgot to ask him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's a show. Um, you can get a hold of us again at RadioTFS.com. We're on Twitter at RadioTFS. On Facebook slash Radio TFS, and you can send us a voicemail. How we would get the voicemail in now, I don't know. I'd have to do some edit, audio editing probably, but still, if you give us a voicemail, a voice message, we'll, we'll play it on the show as long as it's safe for work. The number is, and don't write this down, just go to RadioTFS.com. It's 1425-233-8379. Give us your voicemail, and we'll play it on the air. Also, I owe a bunch of people stickers. All right. Um, I had to, I had to buy some new ones. I will get them out to you as soon as possible. But if you guys, you listeners want some stickers, send me an email. All right. RadioTFS.com, include your mailing address and we'll get some RadioTFS stickers and some DevOps stickers. Matter of fact, we may have to give, uh, no, I'm not going to say anything about getting rid of our stock of RadioTFS stickers, but, um, because we are, this show name is not changing. You know, even though VSTS came out and it used to be Team Foundation Services and then VSTS and Visual Studio Online, our podcast name never changed. And we're going to stay this way for forever. Um, even when we did a, a Channel 9 video of it, we still called it Radio TFS. <laughs> exactly. There you go, Gordon. Um, <laughs> Vouter, Henry, thank you guys so much for being on the show, and I appreciate your flexibility in in our dates and everything. Thank you. Well, thanks for inviting us. Absolutely. And we'll have to get you on again sooner, Vouter and Henry, before, you know, two or three years. That, that's just not – that's not going to work. Thank you. Let's do that. Okay. And Gordon, thank you for coming on. Awesome. Maybe next time I'll, I'll get better at the list, the more list squirreling. I think I squirreled less today than last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, you did it good. No, really. Seriously. I'm not going to cut out any of it. Hardly. No. <laughs> All right. But you're, you're not going to cut it. You're not going to cut out the hour and a half like you did last week is what you mean. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you went on about jelly beans and balloons and unicorns. And yeah, I just started listeners just weren't into that. <laughs> <laughs> the lost squirrel for the session. <laughs> I did the, the last talk on the VSCS and Azure and stuff, and somehow in that talk, I ended up squirreling onto like triathlons and marathons and stuff. One of my mates that was in the audience says, "No, I think you managed to bring it back to your point pretty well." I'm like, "Oh, did I?" <laughs> we already have a we already have a name for the show, but you know we'll have to do a squirrel hunting with Gordon in a. <laughs> all right and listeners again i would really appreciate every one of you listening we do this it's a labor of love this we don't do advertising um we're doing it because you know we're alm we're devops we're just geeks and, and we like talking with other alm and other geeks and, and sharing it with you so again thank you for listening to radio tf 